Over the past you know, several weeks, you know, we've been in a sermon series entitled The Elephant, the Donkey, and the Lamb, for obvious reasons. Uh, you know, we've been looking at how should we as Christians engage in the public square? How should we participate in the political process? And you know, last week I shared that we as Christians are citizens of the city of God, residing in the city of man. And based on Jeremiah 29, 29, as well as other New Testament passages, we looked at how God wants us to seek the peace and prosperity of the city of man. And we talked about how there's really two ways to do that. Uh, One way that we talked about last week was that we should enter into the city with conviction, compassion, and civility. But this morning I want to talk about a second way, another way that we offer peace and prosperity for our city and seek the peace and prosperity of our city. And the second way is by offering our city an alternative city. And every community, you think about every community is shaped by something. You think about our country, the United States of America, it is shaped by the Constitution. You know, the Constitution defines the role of government, The Constitution speaks to some of our rights as citizens. So the Constitution helps define and shape this community called the United States of America. But whether it's a document or a person or an idea, every community is shaped by something. And this is also true of the church. You know, the the church is an alternative community that is shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, Matthew 5, 14 Jesus said to his followers, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. The church is to be this city on a hill, this city within a city, this community within a community. And her distinction is shaped by the gospel. And I'm going to share with you five ways the gospel shapes this community we call the church. And how it becomes this alternative and distinctive community. And as I walk through these ways that the gospel shapes us, uh, for those of you who have never placed your faith in Christ, I want you to be thinking about, you know, what is shaping you? And I want you to consider being shaped by the gospel, giving your life to Christ. And for those of you who have placed your faith in Christ, I want you to think about how does God want to shape you? You know, what are some areas that you still need shaping and how God may want to shape you in some of these areas even this morning? So let's look at the first way that the gospel shapes the church. First, the gospel is what creates the church. The church is a, a community of people that have been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what makes the church distinct from every other community. And so how does the gospel create the church? Well, the gospel is the good news about what God has accomplished for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is simply this. God loves you, and He created you to be in a personal relationship with Him. But the problem is, is that you and I have sinned, meaning that we have uh, built our life on something other than God. But yet, while we have turned our backs on God, God has not turned His back on us. But that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to become what we are. To live a life that we could not live. 
to die a death that we should have died and be raised from the dead, making a way for us to have life with God forever. And the gospel tells us that if we place our faith in Jesus, we will be forgiven of our sins and we will be placed in a right relationship with God forever. And one of the most amazing truths of the gospel is that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith in Christ. The gospel is the truth that we enter a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. And when you place your faith in Jesus, you become part of the people of God, the church. And the fact that we are saved by grace or reconciled to God by grace simply means that God has done all that is necessary for you and I to be placed in a right relationship with Him. And our role is simply to receive it. And the way we do that is through faith in Christ. You know, grace is receiving a good gift that you could not earn. It is a gift. And so this gospel is the truth that by God's grace, we could receive this gift of eternal life, this right relationship with Him by faith. And when you place your faith in Jesus, you become part of the people of God. You you become part of this, this city on a hill, this community within a community. And when you take your next step like these young people did and you you become baptized, what you're doing is you're going public and you're saying, I am identifying with Christ and I'm identifying with his church. In other words, I'm making it public that I am a citizen of the city of God residing in this city of man. So the gospel is what creates the church. The second way the gospel makes the church such a distinct community is that it shapes our relationships. You know, one of the main causes of division among us as a society is this us versus them mentality. You know, the us versus them mentality. Now, how do we distinguish between us and them? Well, just choose something. <laughs> just choose whatever you want. Uh, choose something that's true of you and not true of someone else. And there you go, us versus them. And oftentimes people choose something that they find their, their, their main identity in. It could be um, their educational level or their social standing or their political views or their race, their skin color or their culture. And so many people, we all have a tendency to find our identity in those types of issues. And our tendency is to make those our main identity. And the problem with seeing my identity as my ethnicity or my gender or my educational level or my political views is that it tends to lead either to a place of superiority or inferiority. Now, I think typically it leads to a place of superiority. In other words, I am this way or I believe this way or I look this way. And therefore, if you're different than me, you're less than me. In other words, I am better than you are. So when our our main identity is threatened, we get very angry. We get very defensive. And so that's one reason why I think even today as we move toward this election, you see a lot of angry people. uh, Because their identity is so wrapped up into a specific political party or candidate that they can't imagine 
if the other side were to win. They would be absolutely devastated. And I'm not saying there aren't issues we should debate about or stand for. We talked about that already. But if your main identity is in that, when things don't go your way, you will be devastated. You'll be wondering, how can life go on? You know, your hope will be diminished. And that's a telltale sign that you're finding your identity in something other than Jesus Christ. What's significant about being a Christian is that when we place our faith in Christ by grace. Now, you know, it's nothing that we can do or earn. It's simply something we receive we, we are saved by God's grace. We're placed in the family of God by the grace of God. When I do that, becoming a Christian becomes my main identity. And every other thing that is true of me becomes secondary. And the significance of this truth is that it provides a foundation for unity. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes this significant truth in Galatians 3.28. This is what he says. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, in Christ, there is a foundation for great unity among great diversity. Because in Christ, Paul says in Ephesians, that Jesus broke down the dividing wall of hostility that separates us from one another. That we, that we tend to erect these walls that we tend to erect based on differences that split us and divide us. Paul says, Christ has broken down the walls of hostility. And he offers this relationship with himself that provides the greatest foundation for unity that we have ever seen or experienced. And so as Christians, as we grow in our understanding of the gospel, you begin to see this type of unity play out within the church. And there are differences. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, just look around, spend some time talking to each one of us, and you'll find, guess what? We are very different in various ways. Some of us more than others, right? <laughs> we have a lot of differences, and yet we're one. We've gathered here. Why? Because we're in Christ. Christ brings people of great diversity together in unity because of the grace of God. And it's the only foundation that can accomplish such unity. When Jesus was praying to the Father, you know, John 17, he goes so far as to say this. He says this, I do not ask for these only. He's talking about those disciples that were with him right there. He says, I do not pray for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, meaning us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so Jesus is saying this, this unity, this oneness, the gospel produces among the people of God. is it, like a billboard to the world, at least it should be. A billboard to the world to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how it can bring together people of great diversity in unity. Now, you may, if, you were, if you're you know, tracking with me, you may be saying to yourself, Well, Ron, I hear you. Um, but don't we still have the whole us versus them issue? Us being Christians 
them being non-Christians or those who are not Christians. I mean, don't we still have that whole issue that you said causes such division? Well, what you need to understand is this is another amazing fact about the gospel and how it shapes our relationships. Not only do we have the ability to experience great unity within the church because of what Jesus has done for us, but the gospel of Jesus Christ also produces in us a posture of humility towards those who don't know Christ. So, whereas these other identifiers, you know, whether you identify yourself as, you know, with your ethnicity or your culture or your gender or your political views or whatever it may be, these other identifiers force you to see one as superior and the other as inferior, which leads to a devaluing of those who are different than you. It can lead to a marginalization of those people and even, at worst, an oppression of those people that hold those differences or have those differences. And when, but when we look at the at people around us outside the church, when we look at them through the lens of the gospel, we don't see people as inferior or superior. What we see are people made in the image of God, loved by God, and in desperate need of the grace of God. Just like we are. That's what we see. And so even though there is a difference, a big difference between those who are in Christ and those who are not, this difference does not produce in us an us versus them mentality. What the gospel actually produces in us is an us for them mentality. And this is why Jesus says, love your neighbor. This is why Jesus says, love your enemy." Because love seeks the good of the other. This doesn't mean you agree with everything they say or condone their behavior in any way. That's not what it says. But love puts you in a place of I'm going to seek the good of the people around me. Whether they're Christians or not. That's what the gospel produces in a person's life. And this is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It shapes our relationships not only with those who are within the church. But also those outside the church as well. And so as you can see, you know, as the gospel creates this type of community, that is a distinct community. That is a very alternative city than the one that we live in. But there are some other ways too that I briefly want to touch on uh, of how the gospel shapes us. And I want to talk about probably the three biggest temptations that we face in our society. And these three temptations deal with our possessions, power, and pleasure. And so let's look at the first one. How does the gospel shape how we use our possessions? And why does that make us distinct? Again, the gospel compels us to look to Jesus as our example. You know, the Apostle Paul teaching about being generous in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says this in verse 9. Listen to what he says. And he was encouraging the Corinthian church to give uh, financially in order to support some other believers in Jerusalem that were experiencing a famine. Okay? So that's the context. And here's what, here's what Paul says. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you by his poverty might become rich. 
So we look at Christ and you see the great generosity of Jesus. He, being rich, humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, gave his life sacrificially so that we can experience the riches that are in God. Okay, so he is our example of how we handle what we have. And you might say, well, why did he do such a thing? What would motivate someone to do such a thing? And I would say, I believe his motivator was love. I mean, think about it. You give to what you love. And even when you give to what you love, you tend to give willfully and even cheerfully. And I believe that's what motivated Christ, his love for the Father, his love for us, his love for the world, resulted in him giving himself for us. And the more we understand the gospel, the more you understand the gospel, the more I understand the gospel, the greater our love will be for God and for people. And this will compel us to be givers. Givers givers of our time, givers of our talents, givers of our treasure for the good of those around us. And in fact, this is exactly what happens, and it happens all over the world within the church. Listen to this result from a, a Barna survey on giving. It stated, in all categories of giving, practicing Christians outgive their non-practicing peers in every category. Whether it's given to the church, given to missions, given to the poor, every category. Those who are walking with Jesus are generous people and growing in their generosity. Why? Because when our main identity is in Christ, it enables us then to see money and possessions and everything else for what it is. It's a tool. Makes terrible, a terrible master, but it makes a great tool. And so when our main identity is in Christ, it opens our hands with what we have because now we are then motivated by love for God, love for people, and we're seeking to use what we have for the good of those around us, for the good of the church, and for the good of our city. So the gospel shapes how we use our possessions, which creates this distinct community. And this was true of the early church. You read the book of Acts, and this was true of the early church, and it's still true today for every church that is growing in her understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another big temptation in our society is how we use power. And there's a lot of talk about trying to gain power right now. So how does the gospel shape how we use power. You know, everybody in here has some level of power and influence. It may differ, but we all have some level of power and influence. So the question really is, how are you using your power and influence? And our tendency is to accumulate power for ourselves and for those like us. But instead of communicating power for just selfish gain, the gospel comes in and really reshapes our view of power and influence. You know, instead of using our power for selfish gain, the gospel of Jesus Christ compels us to use our power for the good of those who have less power and less influence. The gospel compels us to share our power and influence with those who have less power and influence because we're not looking to power as our main identity. Christ is our main identity. And so we're looking at everything that we have, including our influence, for how can we use this for the common good and the cause of Christ.
Again, in Galatians 3.28, it says, In Christ there is no slave or free. Who do you think had the most power? The slave or the free person? The free. But he says, you know, in Christ there's no distinction. There's unity. And therefore, you ought to be compelled to use what you have, no matter how much power you have, for the good of others and the cause of Christ. And this is the, this is the radical nature of the church. You know, the church... Throughout history, I'm not saying the church is perfect. I'm talking about if the church adheres to the gospel, lives out the gospel, this is what kind of community it is. And the church throughout history, when the, God, when the gospel has been properly understood and practiced, this has been characteristic of the church. This sharing of influence and power for those who have less influence and power. And this spills over not only within the church where you see that happening, but also in a broader community as well. And this is why you see Christians all over the world, all over even our city, involved in mercy ministry. You know, mercy ministry is a ministry that helps the poor, the marginalized, and those with little power or influence in our society. I mean, you see Christians all over our city involved in that type of ministry because they understand the gospel and it's making this change, it's shaping their lives. This is why you see Christians working for justice in our city. Because we're compelled to be like Jesus and use our position for the peace and the prosperity of those around us. So this is how the gospel shapes our use of power. Third way the gospel shapes us is in the way we deal with pleasure. Now, how does does the gospel shape our our use of pleasure. Well, our society tends to idolize sex and pleasure, whereas our relationship with God gives us a proper view of pleasure. We realize that left to ourselves, that we will look out for our own needs and wants, and we'll seek to fulfill those in any way that we can, if left to ourselves. But in Christ, we learn that God has given us His Spirit to redirect our self-centered desires And God gives us new power to pursue His design for pleasure, which is actually for our good. And like I mentioned before, the gospel even enables us to exhibit love toward those who are experiencing pleasure in inappropriate ways. The gospel moves us towards all people by this motivation of love, not hostility. Because we see people in desperate need of the grace of God, just like we are in desperate need of the grace of God as well. So, being in Christ shapes how we pursue and experience pleasure. So I hope I've been able to you know, just describe for you how the church ought to be this city on a hill, this, this community within a community, this alternative community. And I want to leave you with just one last analogy uh, used by a man named Harvey Kahn. And this is what he writes. He says, perhaps the best analogy is that of a model home. You all familiar with a model home? You know when they're uh, building a new neighborhood, you have the model home. It's like the first one. And so he says, he says, the best analogy is that of a model home. He says, we are God's demonstration community of the rule of Christ in the city. On a track of earth's land purchased by the blood of Christ... Jesus, the kingdom developer, has begun building new housing. As a sample of what will be, he has erected a model home 
of what will eventually fill the urban neighborhood. And he now invites the world into that model home to take a look at what will be. The church is the occupant of that model home, inviting neighbors into its open door to Christ. Evangelism is when the signs are up saying, come in, look around. And as citizens, not survivalists, in this new city, within the old city, we see our ownership as the gift of Jesus the Builder. And as residents, we await the kingdom coming when the Lord returns from His distant country. The land is already His. And in this model home, we live out our new lifestyle as citizens of the heavenly city that one day will come. We do not abandon our jobs or desert the city, but rather we are to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which God has called us into exile. So the church is a, is a model home of the neighborhood that is to come. And what makes the church distinct is that it is created and shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as you and I grow in our understanding of the gospel, we will, be, we will begin to exhibit these distinctions. We will become gracious people. We will become loving people. We will become a generous people. We will become merciful people. We will become self-controlled people. And we will become humble people. And as we grow in the gospel, it will not only bless this church, the Hill Baptist Church, as well as other churches, but it will help contribute to the peace and prosperity of our city. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for who you are, because it's because of who you are that we're able to have this relationship with you. Uh, it's because of who you are that we get to experience your grace through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's because of your grace and mercy that we know what love is. That we can have a proper view of money, possessions, power, pleasure. Um, it's because of who you are and what you've done for us in Christ that we can move into our world, even beyond the church community, from a posture of humility and love. Seeking to point people to this model home this foretaste of heaven, this embassy of your kingdom, so that people may come and make you their king, so that they can live with you forever. And God, I just pray as citizens of your kingdom, of your city, that we'd be very mindful, how can we use what we have for the cause of Christ and seek the peace and the prosperity of this city? We pray to you to fill us with your spirit and guide us and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen.